Welcome back to your home inspector training. I am Garth Haslam, the home medic. We've already covered in this segment the concept of ice damming. You want to make sure that you listen carefully to that segment because as a home inspector, one of the primary things you're going to want to know is roofing generally and ice damming specifically. Now, if you live in Houston, that may be less of an issue, but for the rest of us, you've got to know your ice damming so that you can communicate that along. Now, another couple of subjects that also apply to any home, regardless of whether you've got asphalt shingles, metal shingles, shake shingles, whatever it is, we've got some other subjects that apply across the board. We're going to talk about each of those. The first one of those is trees, and the second one is interfaces and flashing. Something I learned, the more experienced I got as a home inspector, is that trees can be an issue for any one of a thousand reasons. So I'm going to cover some of those. The first is that I find that particular tree types, tree species, can be a problem by themselves. In my area, again, you're going to want to do more research of your own, maybe talk to a tree specialist in your area. I find that in my area, you've got pines that can be a problem. You can have cottonwoods that can be a problem for their own reasons, and then quakies. And we'll talk about each of those. Basically, pines are the first ones to fall over in a windstorm. And so you have to imagine the trees as they grow near the house, if they were to fall over in the wrong direction, what could happen to the home or maybe the power lines, that sort of thing. You're going to pay attention to the trees and how they might be affecting the roof. For example, if you've got a tree or even a large bush that might be a ladder for critters to get onto the roof, that sort of information needs to be provided to the client so they can understand. Most clients are not okay with having raccoons, mice, rats, etc., on the roof because then it's much easier access into the attic where they can, you know, urinate, etc., on the clients via living in the attic. Or, you know, if it's mice, then it's just a pathway into the house, and we all know what mice do inside a house. So one of the easy pathways for critters is trees that are located near the structure and the roof. So you're going to want to make sure that the client is very much aware that that's a ladder and, and that they need to trim. Now, my experience is that I actually saw a cat jump. It looked like about three feet-ish from a branch to the rain gutter of a house. And, you know, if a cat can do it, there's lots of things that can do it raccoons maybe, etc. Mice are very good at jumping. So have that be on your radar as you're going around the home explaining to the buyers what's going on with the house. Trees also, if they're close to the house, they can scrape the shingles. That's not good. You can have a very good shingle that gets taken out very quickly by a tree branch that's blowing in the wind. I've seen where trees can actually cause structural damage as well to the foundation because you've got this big one or two or six foot diameter tree trunk that was planted 100 years ago right next to the foundation. It was cute then, but at this point it is pushing the foundation around. That was actually the first 3 a.m. phone call I ever got 
I've only gotten a small handful, but the first one that I got was because I had failed to notice a tree trunk located too close to the foundation. It was pushing the foundation in. The buyer was not with me, so he calls me a few days later and says, um, you missed that, and then there was hell to pay. So these are the sort of tree issues you're going to want to be paying attention to. If you've got that much tree trunk next to the house, it's going to be damaging the structure all the way up, and then it's going to be damaging the roof. Chimney as well. I have actually seen where you had a pine tree with a pine bough that the bough had grown into the chimney flue. And it was in there far enough that the hot air escaping the flue from a gas fireplace actually burned that pine bough. It was brown. Not burn as in fire, but burn as in it made it brown. Imagine if you would, if they were to build a hotter fire, and I just told you that it was a gas fireplace, and I might have lied to you. It could have been a, a wood burner fireplace. In any case, imagine what would happen in, in a hotter fire if that pine bough would have lit on fire and then the whole tree's on fire, you could have burned down the entire neighborhood. These are the sort of things that you're going to want to pay attention to. If you miss it, it's not only a career ender for you, but it could be a life ender for your clients. And it's certainly a house ender as the house burns down. Not something you're going to want to miss. So that's trees. And also I want to cover interfaces and flashing. There are very few homes where you just have maybe a north-facing home where the shingles are north and south-facing. Quite often you're going to get some little dormer or something that causes the roof to become a little bit more complex. And when that happens, you're always going to have interfaces between maybe a south and east-facing slope or a north and west or whatever the case may be. Where those two interfaces come together, that's called a valley. Now, those valleys, you got to pay attention to those because that's where ice damming can happen. Even if there's no damming that occurs, quite often snow flows can tear up shingles and cause those sorts of problems in a valley. Pay close attention to those. Those are the first area where the roof is going to fail, and that's the worst possible area for it to fail because that's where you've got all the water, of course, one of those Murphy's Law things. You also have interfaces with chimneys. So imagine, if you would, you got a nice slope going down the roof, and then, bam, all this snow hits a chimney. It's going to pile up there. You are going to have an ice dam, and then things get ugly. You're going to have water running down the chimney as the snow piles up to two or three feet high up against the chimney. Now, the way to avoid that sort of problem is to install what's called a cricket. At least that's what it's called in my area. It's kind of a, if you imagine looking down on an Egyptian pyramid and you chop it in half down the lines from corner to corner, now you've got basically, a, from the vertical view, looks like a triangle. You take that and you're going to put it up against the chimney, and that's called a cricket. It is going to force water around the chimney, so that you don't have ice and snow build up against the chimney and have those sorts of ice dam problems. You need to A, look for the cricket, and B, make sure that it's doing its job, that it's big enough, etc. If the cricket's not there and they're just trying to seal the home using roofing tar, that's not enough. 
Also in the interfaces and flashing category, you want to take a look at the wall interfaces. Sometimes you're going to have a roof slope, and right next to it you're going to have a wall. Maybe it's a stucco wall, maybe it's siding, whatever it is. But the last thing you, as the home inspector or your clients, want is for water to run down inside that wall and then get into the living space. Ideally, you're going to be able to see the flashing that has been installed to prevent that from happening. Now, flashing is sheet metal that's been bent, and its purpose is to control water to keep it on the surface where you want it as opposed to down underneath the shingles or inside the walls. So ideally, you can see that flashing. If not, it may or may not be there, but you're going to want to mention that sort of subject to the client to make sure that they're clear that you could potentially have water running into the living space through that interface between roof and wall. Also, you'll have interfaces with, for example, plumbing vents. And to give you just a little bit of background on plumbing vents, sometimes they'll be two inches in diameter, sometimes they'll be three. It depends on what you're venting. But the concept is, and you're going to need to explain this to your clients, that if you pour water into a sink or into a toilet sewer line, it's already full of air. So in order for water to go in, the air's got to go out somewhere, and that's the purpose of the plumbing vent. Those vents, of course, need to be above the snow and ice line without being so high that they're going to be broken off by the snow and ice. So you generally like to see those about 12 to 15 inches out of the roof. Quite often you'll see one that's maybe 2 or 3 inches and it's going to get covered, and it also can get water into it. That's less of an issue because if water gets into it, that's just a sewer line and it'll go to the sewage system. So that's less of an issue, but it will cause the plumbing to gurgle because the air can't escape. Alrighty, for more information, homemedicusa.com and, of course, notchi.org. If you have other questions, you can always give me a buzz or send me an email, garth at homemedicusa.com. Good to have you on board. Go out there, serve people well, take care of them, respect them, make me proud. <laughs>